Our reading this morning can be found in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read from verses 1 through to 12. I'll give you a moment to find that place in your Bible. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of trees and every tree that does produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the gospel of Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. Very good to be with you. And um, I've got a smile on my face because I'm loving the service this morning. I don't know how you're finding it, but I thought the children's slot was excellent. So good to see them singing a great song, but taking part, seeing what all the children and families have been doing. Uh, and then I love the youth slot too, where um, you know, seeing some of the creative ways that they've been doing things, seeing their faces, hearing them say good morning and uh, uh, bye. And there's always one child who's always last. Uh, it goes on the longest. I also, well done, Darren Lee. We said last week we wouldn't say happy birthday to you because your birthday was last week unless a photo was sent in. We saw your smiling face this morning, so it's good to be able to see that and say happy birthday. Uh, let me add mine to <clears throat> James as well. Claire, happy 40, uh, 40th. Anything with a zero is big, so uh, we hope it must have been a different day, but hope it was a good day for you. And Ian and Dunbar, uh, James spoke about what a great achievement that was. It's also a great photo. <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing that. So thanks for sending it through. And like James, please keep sending them through. It's really nice to see those uh, photos. Let me pray. And then we're going to hear the, uh, we'll spend a bit of time thinking about the reading that Miriam just brought us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to spend some time now hearing the words uh, that Miriam just read. And some of those words are both challenging and comforting. Uh, we need your spirit to be at work amongst us this morning, Lord that you would prompt us where we need to be prompted, that you would open our hearts and minds to your truth and we would see how we need to respond. Please be at work within us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before the um, COVID-19 lockdown at St. Stephen's, we'd been going through Matthew's gospel. We hadn't got very far. We'd been in it a few weeks. We'd got through to the end of chapter two. 
but and I'm someone who doesn't like to change uh, sermons based on current events. There's always something going on in the world. You don't change uh, what you're doing just because there's something going on in the world. But it felt like a global pandemic lockdown that might be proportional to change what we did. And so we did. And we spent a couple of weeks looking at some psalms. We, we had the Easter services focused on the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we've made the decision this week to go back to Matthew's gospel. We got up to the end of chapter two. Uh, which really was about before Jesus and Jesus as a baby and a small child. But we're picking things up this morning in the passage that Miriam just read to us, the beginning of chapter three, and we've jumped about 28 years forward since the end of chapter two. About 28 years have passed, so Jesus is now an adult, although we won't meet Jesus this week. This week, it's about John the Baptist. We'll meet him next week, but this week it's John the Baptist. I've said before that I think John the Baptist is, uh, he reminds me of Michael Buffer. If you don't know Michael Buffer, then you're not a fight fan. Uh, Michael Buffer is the guy who, in the US, when there are big boxing cards or wrestling shows, he used to do this for WCW with Hulk Hogan and all, all those guys. He was the guy who came on before the main event to announce it. He'd talk about who the um, contestants were, what their their height was and weight and where they came from and those sorts of things. And then he used to say, let's get ready to rumble in that kind of famous voice. Stop laughing. Uh, his voice and that phrase have made him literally millions of dollars. Now, on a boxing card or on those wrestling shows, there are lots of undercard fights. There, there may be 10, 15 fights that night, but there's only one main event. Michael Buffer didn't come on before any of the, the other, uh, other kind of fights on the card. He only came on to announce the main event. So when Michael Buffer came on and you heard that voice and you heard that phrase, let's get ready to rumble, you knew now's the big time. Now's the climax. Now's the main event. Now, he, of course, himself wasn't the main event. He was just announcing the main event, but he himself was a big deal. Michael Buffer has made millions. His line, let's get ready to rumble, is patented, patented, patented. It's one of those. And uh, it's used in ads and movies, and he gets all the royalties. In fact, I may get sued this morning for saying it uh, in that kind of way. Well, he reminds me of John the Baptist. John the Baptist also in himself was huge. Uh, John the Baptist is very easy to underappreciate, but he was a big, big deal in Israel. He's mentioned in all four Gospels. Not a lot that Jesus did or said is in all four Gospels. Only two miracles that Jesus did, and one of those is the resurrection, is in all four Gospels. John the Baptist is in all four. He's also not just in the four Gospel accounts. He's in non-Christian Jewish historian historical accounts. Uh, you find John the Baptist. You can see his influence in verse 5. If you've got your Bible there, look it up. Verse 5 of our passage. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. People flocked to see John the Baptist and listened to him in a way that was extraordinary. I can't think of a person today in New Zealand that everyone would flock to, to listen to, but they did. He was the most significant and influential person in that land for, for, for probably around 500 years. We also know how important he was in and of himself by the way Matthew, the gospel writer here, describes him. We're not often told of people's fashion choice or, or dietary preferences in the scripture. So when those details are given, it's important. Have a look at verse four and see how Matthew describes John the Baptist. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. 
Now, why are we suddenly given his fashion sense and menu preference? Well, back in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 1, it describes another person as wearing a garment of hair with a leather belt around his waist. And that person was Elijah, one of the most famous prophets from the Old Testament. So, Eli so John the Baptist is being described as having prophet fashion sense. He's in the desert eating only honey and locusts. That's prophet location and menu. He's preaching what? Verse 2, repentance. That's prophet message. So John the Baptist is being deliberately, but deliberately described by Matthew as a prophet. A prophet is one who speaks God's truth. That's John the Baptist. It had been over 400 years in Israel's history since they had had a prophet from God. And so John the Baptist was massive. Here was someone speaking God's truth. The people recognized that. They flocked to hear him, to listen to what he had to say, and to do what he said. So John the Baptist was a big deal in and of himself. But what was he doing? Well, again, like Michael Buffer, he was announcing the main event. He knew he wasn't the main event. He was pointing people to the main event. Explicitly, we're told what his message and ministry was in verse 3. We're told that many years before John, an old another Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, had prophesied about John and what he'd do. Have a look at verse 3. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's mission was very clear. He was to prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Now, that right there is amazing because that quote is originally from Isaiah chapter 40. And when it's talking about make prepare the way for the Lord, the Lord there is unquestionably, undeniably referring to God. And yet now it's being applied to John the Baptist, who's preparing the way for who? Jesus. It's saying Jesus is God. This is Massive. So John the Baptist has got an amazing responsibility. He's to prepare the way for the Lord who's coming. That's Jesus, who's God. So do you see, see why I think he's like Michael Buffer? He's a big deal in and of himself, but he's announcing the next attraction is the attraction. This is the climax. This is the big deal. This is the main event. And I'd like to share two ways this morning that he prepared people for the coming of the Lord, for, the, for the, um, the main event. And the first was by preaching a message of repentance. He preached a message of repentance. That was clearly, there's only 12 verses here, but you can't miss what John the Baptist's main priority of getting across was. He preached repentance, verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He told people to repent because the kingdom of heaven was near. So that was his message that he preached. But it, it, it crops up again and again in these verses. In verse 8, he's having a, a disagreement with the religious leaders of the day. And he says to them, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he's telling the religious leaders of the day, you've got to repent. I'm not just telling all the commoners and you have to repent. Then in verse 11, what was John the Baptist's main task, apart from preparing the way for the Lord? The clues in his name, the Baptist, he baptized people. In verse 11, he explains a little bit about what he was doing in baptizing. And he says he does it with water for repentance. So even his main task of baptizing was about repentance. Repentance, repentance, repentance. You've got to repent. It's clear that John the Baptist had a focus. 
and it was on repentance. Well, what is repentance? The main thing I want to get across to you this morning about repentance is that it's not just a feeling or a, an emotion. It's an action. Some people think repentance is when you feel bad about doing something you know is wrong. It's feeling guilty or sorrow. It's not. Repentance is a step further. Normally, it includes that feeling of sorrow or regret, but it's, it's changing as a result of it. Repentance is active. The, the word literally means changing direction. So as a Christian, what it means is that in life, what we do is I live my way, my priorities, my choices, my actions, what I want to do. But the life for a Christian is not to live my way, it's to live God's way. And there are some things in my life which are some of my priorities are the same as God's priorities. And some of my decisions are what God would want me to do, and but some are not. And in those areas in our life, when we're doing our thing instead of God's, it's to change direction from my way and to live his way. It's not just feeling bad about that. It's doing something about it. It's, it often involves stopping doing certain things that are wrong or unwise. It sometimes means starting to do things which are good and wise. It's not just feeling bad about who we are or what we've done. It's changing from that and going the Lord's way, doing what the Lord wants, living differently, living right, living the Lord's way. Repentance is active. Now, often it will involve sorrow. It will involve recognizing when, when John baptized in verse five and six, they confessed their sins. They, they knew what they'd done wrong. He baptizes them symbolically to clean them. Now they're to live a repentant life, live a life living God's way, not their way. But so it's feeling bad's part of it, but it's the action part. A big part of the Christian life is putting to death our sinful ways to live wholeheartedly for him. That's repentance. As John did this work of baptize, uh, baptism, he was symbolically washing them clean as they, in verse 6, as I said, confess their sins. Then they dry off and live a life of repentance. And he said everyone needed to do this. Back then, Israelites didn't get baptized. Only Gentiles did because Israelites were seen as the people of God. John said Israelites need to, get, need to live a life of repentance. It, it, within the Israelites, the people you definitely wouldn't baptize was the religious leaders. John says all of the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of them had to. doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile or a Jew. doesn't matter whether you're a farmer or a Pharisee. doesn't matter whether it was 2,000 years ago or now. Living the life of repentance is what we need to do. Because our very lives are a gift from God. The life that you have, the life that you've been given is a gift from God and it's your responsibility to live for him. The world today says in so many different ways all the time, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you live. You have a responsibility to live for the one who's gifted you life. The world kind of says it doesn't matter how you live as long as you're authentic to who you are. Well, that's nonsense as well, because who I am may be terrible. Being authentic to me might mean abusing my body with alcohol or drugs or abusing other people around me. It might mean wasting my life or uh, being selfish at a high level. And I might say, well, that's, that's how I feel. That's what I want to. No, you and I were created by a God, a God who knows us and loves us and wants the best for us. And living his way will always be best for us. Repentance is when we realize we're doing things our way and we change from that to live his way. Therefore, and I don't want to sugarcoat this. 
Repentance is sometimes really hard. It's sometimes really painful. It sometimes comes at enormous cost. It sometimes involves making massive changes to our habits, lifestyles, and direction. You may be trying to stop something you've done for many, many years. You may be trying to pull away from and turn away from something you feel is almost part of your makeup. And, but if it's God's way, it's best. Repentance, the life of repentance. And so can I ask you this morning, do you live a repentant life? Or is that something you just did once? Or you've done it in a couple of areas, but, but it doesn't carry on. Do you know what you need to repent of? It could be certain areas of life. It could be certain ways of thinking. It could be certain patterns of behavior. What do you need to repent of right now? I think right now is a great time. I've been worried about this talk because it's quite harsh and we're in a pretty difficult situation. But it's actually a really good time to think about repentance because sometimes in your Christian life, you can think, well, that's what I did back then, but I don't have to worry about it now. We're in a different phase of life right now. What do you need to repent of right now? Because it may be different from what you needed to repent of four weeks ago when you weren't in lockdown. Most of us are living quite differently at the moment. We're all in our bubbles. Man, I hate the word bubbles. <laughs> Does everyone else hate the word bubbles? We're all in our bubbles. And um, we're out of the rhythm of our normal lives. Therefore, some of the temptations we're facing are different. Therefore, some of the ways we're sinning is different. Some of the ways we're going against what God wants. What do we need to repent of right now? Same flows out of the same heart, but it might be different at the moment in a different context. What is it for you? There are some people at the moment who are drinking to excess in a way that they would never normally do to cope with the difficulty in life, to dull the pain or to stop themselves from thinking. And as, as always happens when you drink to excess, you do foolish and sometimes terrible things. And maybe that's something you need to think of or repent of at the moment. It may be uh, rather than drink, it might be eating. Some people are binge watching, others are binge eating. Uh, it may be things that you're watching. I read something a couple of days ago which said that the uh, amount of pornography being watched and downloaded at the moment has exploded in the last three weeks. Uh, is that you? Is that something you need to repent of? It may not be pornography, though. There's a whole lot of things being watched which are not pornography, but some of which may be really unhelpful and ungodly for us. And what we tend to do in those situations is think, well, it's probably unwise for them to watch, but I'll, I'll be okay. Garbage in, garbage out. There may be some stuff you need to repent of there. Is it impatience or unkindness with those that you're living with? I'd imagine, unless you're living by yourself at the moment, hardly any of us wouldn't put our hands up for that. But sometimes this is bad. The, the statistics at the moment about the rise of domestic abuse uh, is terrifying. But I'm not trying to say that those involved in that are, are somehow, we can see this in our, all our hearts. Is this an area controlling your temper, your anger, your patience? Are these things that at the moment you, you really want to repent of? Is it laziness? When I talk about laziness, I'm not talking about resting. I, I think in a, in a stressful time like this, it's wise to rest. You need to give yourself a, a, a break. And there are some people who, to be honest, are way too ambitious in this kind of period. I'm talking about the, period, the kind of people who think, uh, yeah, during this period, I'm, I'm going to um, uh, learn a language, sculpt a new body, read a book and plan the next stage of my life and then have lunch. 
then I'll, then I'll do something tomorrow. And um, those people, you're, you're out of touch. If you've got some goals, great, go for it. And uh, there are some people who need to rest, but there is a laziness that can be involved in some of these periods. And the, the old saying, I, I totally believe the old saying that idleness is the devil's workshop. When you've got uh, time on your hands and you're not busy, the devil tempts you in ways with your thoughts. The devil tempts you to do things with your hands that you wouldn't normally. Laziness can bring about problems. The other old saying I like on that is time on your hands, yourself on your mind. I think that's very true. The hard work and discipline covers a multitude of problems. Is laziness an issue for you at the moment? Is it selfishness? The... Um, uh, what's the, the word when people stockpiling of all the stuff that people are doing? The people who think they're above the rules, the rules apply to everyone else, but not to me. There can be a selfishness that we see in ourselves at this kind of time. It, it can be a spiritual thing, though, a lack of confidence in the Lord, discontent in my situation, lack of thankfulness. All these things, what do you need to repent of? That was the message that John preached, repent. We will see next week in chapter four, it was the exact same message Jesus himself preached. Repent, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Repentance is hard work. It is discipline. It's strength of mind and body. We nearly, it's nearly always partial because we're fallen people. So we, we kind of start off well, but then we trip up and fail. And we've got to keep going step by step, day by day, not giving up, keeping going. That's repentance. That's what you and I have to do. It's what John preached. It's what you and I have to live. Let's do it. Repentance. Well, let's get ready to rumble. Let's get ready to repent. I probably will get sued now. Repent. You and I have got to do it. Well, friends, that was the first way that John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. He reminded them, he tells us, we need to be people of repentance who repent. But there was a second way. And thank goodness there was a second way. Because otherwise the Christian life sounds a lot like a self-help book. You've got to do it all yourself. It seems like it's just about pulling your socks up higher or tightening the belt, the leather belt around your waist, putting your best foot forward. But it's not. The second way that John prepared the way for the Lord was to preach the message of Jesus to point to the person who was coming after him, to show the main event, the great one who was coming. In verse 11, John said, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not even fit to carry. John says, the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to carry his dirty, smelly shoes. And he goes on to say what this one would do. Verse 11, but after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, again, I want you to notice this. Jesus is being spoken of as God. Prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord was God and now it's Jesus. So he's being described as God there. But here, this one baptizes with the Holy Spirit. No one baptizes with the Holy Spirit except God himself. And he's doing the work of judging people. He's gathering wheat, that's the good, into the barn and throwing the, the chaff, that's the waste, onto the, onto the fire. So only God judges people, but Jesus is doing it here. And everything is described as his, his winnowing fork, whatever that is, his floor, his wheat. John can't be any clearer. This guy is the main event. More than that, this guy is God himself. The one who's following me, Jesus, is the man. 
Now it says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. But what does that mean? Well, I think what it means is it's different from what John was doing. John had been baptizing with water for repentance, which, as I said before, was symbolic. So he didn't wash them clean. It was a symbolism of what he hoped God would do in them. And then they were to live the, the, the life of repentance. Symbolic of being washed clean to live a new life of repentance. Therefore, what Jesus is doing is the actual thing. It's not a symbol anymore. He's actually doing it. If you believe and trust in Jesus, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. You are actually washed clean and ready for a life of repentance. Now, why fire? I think because... It's the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire does two things. Sometimes people think the fire here is the tongues of fire on Pentecost. It could be, but I, I don't see it that way. Fire is already in these verses, twice in other places, and it's about judgment. And I think it has that element to it. The baptism of uh, the Holy Spirit and fire, fire does two different things to different elements. On the one hand, with some elements, it burns it and consumes it. You throw paper on a fire and it burns and is gone. That's the judgment side. But fire does something else with some elements, with precious metals, with gold, with those kind of things. They melt it in the fire so that it can be molded as it should be molded and to get rid of impurities and dross. They, they, they melt it so that you get rid of the imperfections. The Holy Spirit does that with humans. There's some that are a judge because they do not go with the Spirit's leading and guidance. There are some who trust in the Lord Jesus and they are molded and the impurities removed and the dross taken out. That's what's going on here. It's an amazing truth that's being said. But do you see, therefore, there is both warning and comfort in these words. Both are here. There is a warning. Because you can't escape the fact that John speaks of Jesus here and the work of the Spirit in a judging sense. Verse 7, John speaks very harshly to the religious leaders. The axe is at the root of the tree, he said. If you don't produce fruit of repentance, you will be burnt. Then he speaks of Jesus as the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire and says the wheat and the chaff is split up and the chaff is burnt. This is a warning passage. You cannot muck around with Jesus. You've got to respond the right way with there's only one question that counts in life. Forget about what you think about education and career and all that. There's only one thing that counts in life. Where are you with Jesus? It's the only thing that matters. It's the only exam that, that matters. You can't muck around with him. You've got to respond the right way. Trusting him, following him, then repenting, which is living in line with him. Forgive me speaking about myself for a moment. But I've been told that one of the things I do when I preach is that uh, sometimes I can preach a hard truth in a way which is sensitive, where it's not overly offensive and people can hear it. And, and I, I, I pray that that might be true. I, I try to do that. But there are times when if I do that too much, I've soft soaked something and it can be dangerous because it's, I want people to feel the weight of it. John the Baptist speaks heavy words here. Because the Lord Jesus is that important. Sometimes there are the times when you tell you warn your children about things and you kind of soft soap it because they, they don't need to know. There are other times where you've got to tell them the consequences exactly because they need to feel the weight of it to understand it, to make good decisions. John the Baptist does that here about life. Life without Jesus, life without repentance. And he says the consequences of that is axe, fire. That's the imagery he's doing. 
I want you to know how important this is. You need Jesus and you need to live a life of repentance in the same way that I do. Because when we're talking about these kind of things, we're talking about people's eternal destinies, their spiritual health, their eternal life. You need Jesus. You need a life of repentance. Therefore, don't muck around with this this morning. Don't wait. Don't go, well, I've heard that and maybe one day I'll come back. You need to think about this now and do something about it now if you're not following Jesus. This life is fragile and temperamental and changeable. You and I have been reminded of that in the last three weeks. Who would have thought five weeks ago that the world that you and I live in would be like it is now? Things can change like that. Jesus doesn't change, but the need to respond to him doesn't change either. We've got to do it. Now's the time. Don't muck around with it. And this period of time, lockdown, for all it's good and bad, mainly bad, but um, this may be just the time you need in your life to have reflected on where you're at and where you're going. And I can tell you, no matter who you are and what the answer to all those questions are, you need Jesus. So make a decision now and follow him. So there is a warning in these words. There is a, a challenge in these words. I hope you can hear that. But there's also enormous comfort in these words. Because it says, I spoke before about repentance, and repentance is so important. It says here that if you've got Jesus, you're not alone as you live your life of repentance. You have the Holy Spirit. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, it means you haven't been symbolically cleansed. You have been cleansed by the Spirit. You have a new heart. You and I, in a way, are a new creation. And he is with you and I as we live the life of repentance. He helps pick us up when we fall. He helps strengthen us when we fail. He helps give us strength when we don't think we can, we can repent or, or do it again. He gives us assurance when we, we give up or we, we, we think the future's unclear or worried about it. It's not just self-help. When you've got Jesus, when you're at the main event, you've got his spirit and he's with you every step of the way. This is the best news, the best news. So do you see what John the Baptist did? His role was to prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for Jesus. And he did it like Michael Buffer. He was a big deal in of himself, but he was pointing to the main event. He did it in two ways. He told people, you got to change the way you live. you got to recognize that you're living the wrong way. you got to live God's way. But don't worry, there's one who's coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You and I live at a different time, but these truths are the same. He's what we need. And we need to live. We need to turn to him and then live a life of repentance. And the good news that we have is we don't do that alone. We do it with his spirit working in us. It's hard. I don't want to pretend it's anything else. The Christian life is hard stuff. But we're not alone as we do it. And so will you join me in getting ready to rumble, living the life of repentance with our wonderful Savior and his spirit? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths that John preached and lived and so many years later are so relevant for us today. And I pray in particular this morning for any who haven't yet turned to the Lord Jesus. These words are challenging. I pray that they would meet that challenge by responding in faith. And if there's anyone who doesn't know how to do that, Lord, I pray that they get in touch with James or I or someone so that we can talk them through it. And uh, But they would immediately bow the knee to you and recognize they need to change, but they need your help. They need your son and your spirit. 
But for those of us who have the pleasure and privilege of him as our Savior and King Lord, help us keep living that life of repentance, knowing that we don't do it alone, but with the encouragement and strength and support of your spirit. Father, we thank you for that. But if there are any of us who, who need to particularly repent at this, this time, this specific time and in particular areas, give us the strength to do that, Lord. We pray that we may do it so that we may live more wholeheartedly for you. Set a good example to others and shed light in this dark world. We pray these things for Jesus' glory and in Jesus' name. Amen.